0: Every single one of you is here is tonight for this event. We are here to do what we've been doing the past few minutes. There's not too many things in our society anymore that gets a ton of people together to sing about. We do it at games, we, we shout, we chant, You might do it uh, in church on a Sunday morning, but there's not too many other things that our society does where we come together, and maybe one of the reasons why is we don't have much to sing about anymore. We have a lot to sing about tonight, and it's been awesome as I walked up here earlier hearing them practice and this music going all over the heart of UGA's campus. That's why we're here. So we're glad that you're here to be a part of that. Uh, I wanted to take just a few minutes tonight to help us think through some of what we have been singing and some of the words that you've been hearing read from scripture. And in these next few minutes together as we kind of think back to some of the songs that we've sung and are gonna sing, the scriptures that we've heard, just two ideas I want you to hold into your mind in our next few minutes together. And it's really this. Human beings want disruption, and we get to embrace disruption. I'll explain what I mean. What we started off singing about a few minutes ago was the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. That is one of those songs out there, it's a rare song that's had unbelievable staying power over the centuries. You know, most songs like peak for a year or two, you might hear them on a playlist a few years later, and they fade out. This song has been sung by Christians since the 8th century. 1,200 years is what you just added your voice to, of Christians coming together, singing this. Now, the medieval church in the 8th century would sing this song in what's called antiphon if you're a music major, you know, is kind of a responsive song. Half the room would take up the stanzas of the song, and the other half would belt back out the chorus to the other side and answer the longing that they had sung about. So just like happened tonight, half the room would sing, would take up the role of the the, the part of the people that Isaiah 9 says were walking or living in shadows, living in darkness. And they would sing, to the other people in the room and they would groan and they would pray, O come, O come, Emmanuel, ransom or rescue captive Israel. Deliver us from the darkness, from this exile where we feel trapped and all alone just with our own resources. Deliver us or rescue us from our own bad habits. From our own darkness in our families, from our minds, from our bodies. That's what they were saying. We are stuck. They were begging God to disrupt that dark status quo. They were calling on him to interrupt that darkness that you and I feel, too, when we're paying attention. And it comes back to the front burner from where we left it on the back burner. It's the darkness that we see on the news. It's the darkness that flutters through our emotions from time to time and makes us feel desperate. It's the darkness that we feel with religion. I feel stuck. How am I supposed to do this? How am I supposed to get closer to God? It's spiritual darkness. I feel like there's something out there, but I don't know what it is. I don't know how to get to it. I don't know how to have it. It's relational darkness in your friendships, in your families societal darkness, when whole countries seem to just break down. And these people who were singing these songs, and even us tonight, wanted out. They wanted out of that. They wanted somebody to come and interrupt it, and to stop it. And so they sang what Isaiah 64 said, oh God, would you break through the heavens and come?" So these are old songs that we're singing, but they're not distant because they're fresh and familiar to everybody in here, right? Aren't they? As you're singing these things, you find out why these have stuck around for hundreds and hundreds of years. They still fit us. They still describe what's going on inside of us. If you had to put words to your fears and your tears over the years, they would sound a lot like the songs we've been singing. I feel alone. I need someone to help me, but I don't know where to turn. Or, God, are you even paying attention? (laughs) And that's why Christians still sing these songs. And that's why people keep writing songs exactly like this. I know it was a decade before everybody in this room was born. But in 1987, YouTube wrote and released one, what would become one of their all-time like, top songs ever. Still haven't found what I'm looking for. And Bono was interviewed around the time that he wrote that song, and he said, this is a song that celebrates wanting. It's a song that celebrates yearning and desiring. Desiring what? Looking for what? Wanting what? C.S. Lewis put better words to it, maybe, than the rest of their song. He says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy that desire, it it does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Maybe these earthly pleasures, he says, were never meant to satisfy. Those desires but only to arouse those desires and to suggest the real thing so they wrote that song I still haven't found what I'm looking for because they were looking for something more than the things we spend our lives looking for that's why people keep reading songs about these things so a minute ago I said that in the 8th century church, half of the room would sing the O come, O come, Emmanuel, rescue us, deliver us. They were essentially saying, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And then the other side finally kicked in and belted back to this side in answer to their yearning. They weren't left singing this on repeat over and over again. There was an answer to it, a loud answer to it. And that answer. said, Rejoice, Rejoice. Emmanuel, Jesus shall come to thee, O Israel. I wonder, I think, I believe a lot of us live our lives with half of that song running through our heads. The playlist of our lives is the first half of that song. Oh, come, oh, come. I'm desperate. I'm out of my depth. I don't know what to do. Rescue me. God, where are you? It reminds me of this story I heard a campus minister friend told me of his little three or four year old who is learning how to sing a song but hasn't learned how to sing the whole song. He gets like half the lyrics and just repeats them because he can't remember all of it. He caught his son a while back uh, singing, nothing can for a tone. nothing can for a tone. nothing can for a tone." He said, You know there's more to that song? Nothing for Sinaton except for the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Do you have? God come, God come, God come, stuff on repeat. But for whatever reason, haven't heard him say, I have. I have. I'm here. I'm listening. I'm paying attention. I see you. You sing the song, nothing can for your sins atone. Nothing can clean me. Nothing can lift me out of this darkness. Nothing can give me a solid future that's not victim to circumstance and chance. Or if you've heard those other voices, just shout in the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. I found this tendency in my own heart recently. Just a few weeks ago, I started realizing I get stuck on please, God. And I never get to thank you, God. Please do this. Please fix this situation. Please straighten me out. Fix. I, I'm off here. Like, make me better. I want to grow here. Please, Father. And I've been so fixated, and obsessed, preoccupied with please that it's kept me from getting to thank you. You can say thank you right now. I can say thank you right now because God is listening. He's paying attention. He's answering. There's mercy in my life right now. I just haven't been seeing it guys, I've been stuck on O come, O come, Emmanuel, But I haven't had ears to hear, rejoice, rejoice, and the one you seek has come. And so, this first point, just a question for you. If you still feel like you haven't found what you're looking for, the good news of Christianity, the good news of the gospel, is that the one you're looking for has come looking for. That's good news. If a prophet, if a teacher, if a preacher comes into the darkness and shouts at you to stop being dark, stop doing dark things, go to the light, that's terrible news. Because you're all by yourself still, except now with an impossible task on your shoulders. That is not good news. It's slavery. It's the darkness of religion, and it's one of the things Jesus came into the midst of to illuminate and provide a way out of. Jesus says he is light, and he is life, and he is God, who has come into the darkness, but not been conquered by it to carry you out. That's good news, that the one that you and I have spent our lives looking for has come looking for us, and he is able to find us. So he has in fact come, he has in fact heard our cries, and Manuel has in fact come to heal. This is not simply something we're waiting and hoping will happen, it's something we see has happened. So in the years after U2 released that song, somehow, I don't know how, but they got connected to a black church in Harlem. And they went and did a private performance just with the band, the four band members, the cameraman, and this 30-person choir at this tiny little church in a tiny little sanctuary. It's on YouTube. You should look at it. It's amazing. And they sang this song. And Bono's up there just going nuts with you know, these 30 people in pews looking at him. And, the, and YouTube kind of sang, still haven't found what I'm looking for, part of the song. And then this choir just revs up and with just bomb comes back at him. You can tell these guys I are blown away. And they sing the part that says, I've climbed the highest mountains. I've run through the fields. Only to be with you. I've run, I've crawled, I've scaled these city walls. These city walls. Only to be with you. The band said that their time in that church that day with that choir had a big impact on them because they wrote the song. It was their song, but the way that these people interpreted that song and sang that song caused the band to go back and rethink what their own lyrics even meant because these people sang it with anticipation confidence expectation you're gonna find what you're looking for because who you're looking for is coming to find you they found the real thing so they helped you to find out what those lyrics aren't just something that we sing to God. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Oh, come, O come, Emmanuel. But they're the very lyrics that God sings back to humanity. They're the very lyrics that God sings back to humanity. Climb the highest mountains. Run through the fields. He's run, he's crawled. He's scaled these city walls. Scaled these city walls to be with you. Not in a sentimental way like to keep you company. To be with you as Savior, as a Father, as Physician, as Healer, as Rescuer, as Resurrection. He's the answer to death. He's the answer to spiritual dry seasons. He's the answer to being stuck in the dark. He's the answer to, I want to grow, but I can't. I can't change. Jesus is the answer. Paul says essentially the same thing, but he uses a little different. Too. He says, "Though Jesus is in His very nature God, He didn't consider equality with God something to be taken something to take to His own advantage. Rather, He made Himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled Himself. This is God we're talking about." God the son eternal god the son he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death and even death on a cursed cross paul is answering bono and he's saying you found what you're looking for just not in the place you might have thought." so my last question for us everybody regardless of your background, where you're at with God, where you're at the Christianity Church, where you're at in your journey, where you're at with your spiritual life right now, is are you interested in being interrupted by Jesus? And I guess I mean that even literally, practically. I mean, this is the last week of the semester. Finals are here, projects are due, everybody's busy. So I even mean it literally. Are you willing to be interrupted by Jesus? Because people were busy in the first century too when news of this birth went through the land. People had stuff to do. But I also mean at a deep existential, like the depths of your being, are we people who are willing to be disrupted by this Jesus? Our plans, our agendas, the ways we wanted to spend our lives, we are willing to be disrupted, moved around, readjusted, turned upside down by his truth and grace. Well, let's be honest, not everyone is interested in being interrupted or disrupted by God. We didn't read the story yet. If you keep reading any of the Christmas accounts in the Gospel, you're gonna read of a king named Herod. He was the ruler at the time Jesus came onto the scene. Herod sure didn't wanna be disrupted because Herod rightly knew if this king is truly a king, if he's God, changes everything for me. Herod was threatened by that because Herod wanted to do things Herod's way. So Herod (laughs) did did what all of us do with threats. He he tried to neutralize it. He tried to get rid of it. Everyone who meets Jesus meets him first as a disruption. There's no other way to meet someone like Jesus who is God when we are creatures. There's no other way around it because to come to Jesus, to welcome his presence into your life is to acknowledge that your biggest problem isn't external to you, but it's you. And you need him to save you from you. And you need him to save you from things far outside of your control and much bigger you, bigger than you, like evil, like death, like sin, like shame, like condemnation. To come to Jesus to embrace his presence means my life is not about me. It means I need something more than another chance or another another year to, to be a better me, to tidy up the last areas of my life that need it. To come to Jesus or to have him come to me and embrace the disruption means letting go of the white knuckle grip on our own control and agenda and plans. Herod couldn't do it. Herod wouldn't do it because Herod didn't want to do it. Mary and Joseph were also deeply troubled and disrupted and interrupted by this Jesus' arrival. It was going to change their life, and at first they perceived it as it's going to ruin our lives. We'll always be seen, always be seen under the specter of sexual immorality, of shame. Our son will always be seen as the kid for Mary and Joseph, But they came around and they realized that this disruption was a disruption of all that was bad and wrong in their lives, not a disruption or a stealing of all that was good. We had had some neighbors in our neighborhood a couple of years back who, whenever they were walking around the neighborhood on the weekends, would just pop into the house and then stay for like an hour or two and you would think I would have liked that, I didn't like that. because Saturdays are my get-it-done days, like catch up on yard work, get stuff done, spend time with the family, relax, watch a game, and to have an unannounced intruder slash neighbor come over and, like, say, let's hang out for a while. Um, My heart's first reaction was resistance to that disruption. My thought was they've turned my agenda for the day upside down. But it kept happening, and it kept happening. And it conquered me because I couldn't be like, can y'all just not come around anymore? And I, I love these people. I just didn't want them there in the middle of my plans. But it kept happening. So I was like, I kind of submitted to it. I was like, I'm resigned to it. You know what happened, though? My first thought was resistance and push it away. But all my thoughts after that as my heart began to kind of thaw is, yes, this is disruptive. Yes, it's disorienting. But they haven't turned my agenda upside down. They've turned it right side up hospitality came back, love came back, relationship came back, being present with other people came back. So I ask you again, Jesus will disrupt your life. Do you see him coming to you like Herod and say, I've got to neutralize this threat because he's taking what I love the most, what I'm looking for, I found, and he's taking it for me? Or do you see him approach you, friends? as the one you've been looking for coming to you. Yes to disrupt, yes to interrupt, but in the most amazing way you've ever imagined. If you see him in that way, these songs mean all the more to you. If you want to see them that way, these songs can mean all the more to you because they're the invitation to sing not just with other people through the ages, through the generations, through the the globe, but all through creation as well. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. God's still waiting on him, he's come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him. We're all looking. We're all looking for the God who has come in Jesus, looking for us. So when we sing these last two songs in just a minute, let's sing them extra loud because the doors are open. The world needs to hear that a king has actually come. The world is not stuck in darkness. But dawn has come and a holy day is here. So let's sing.